Hi everyone, and welcome to Watson's Weekly. I'm Gary from Watson's Daily, and as usual, joining me today is Peter Watson. Today, we'll be talking about macro and commodities, automotive news, consumer trends, and social media news. Take it away with macro news, Peter. <laughs> Thanks very much. Always think you have got an amazing voice for radio. You really have. <laughs> and yet I'm still here doing the podcast with you. <laughs> I know, but I mean, hey, if anyone's listening, you know, I'm sure that, that you know, someone, some sort of producer somewhere is going gonna, is gonna to snap you up, Jerry. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, OK, so um, we'll start off with macro news. So it's all very exciting this week. Um, Italy got a new prime minister. Um, it's Mario Draghi. And he is, uh, you know, uh, he's a very well respected ex-president um, of the ECB. Um, drafted in by the president of Italy to try and form a government. He managed to cobble together the, the, the coalition, which is no mean feat, given that they're from all sorts, <laughs> different ends of the, um, of the political spectrum. Um, but anyway, he, um, he, you know, he got the job officially over the last weekend. Um, <clears throat> he laid out plans um, about how he's, how he's going to turn around Italy uh, on, I think, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, and he said he would accelerate the vaccination program. He'd, uh, he'd talk about, yeah, he was going to spend the 210 billion euros of um, EU recovery money on things like digitalization, um, making, you know, uh, sort of env environmentally friendly stuff um, and the research training and health as well. So, um, you know, he outlined plans on that. And he also said that he's going to be doing um, some structural reforms and overhauling the um, tricky tax system that they have at the moment. I mean, that's no mean feat, um, certainly just even doing the tax system on its own is no mean feat. Um, but um, but anyway, I'm I hope that's really great news. Italy is one of Europe's biggest economies, and at least that it seems like they've got um, a good guy in um, at the top. So anyway, so that's that's really good, um, and you know it's needed because, like I say, it's one of one of uh, Europe's biggest economies. Um, then we've got in um, talking about big, big economies in Europe, the biggest economy in Europe, Germany. Um, there's a lot of pressure building up there. And I guess it's the same um, in most places. Um, but there's a lot of pressure building up from the business lobby um, saying that they need, you know, they need to open up soon. Uh, this is in response to the fact that um, lockdown um, was extended to March the 7th. Now, Germany has some of the strictest lockdown conditions in Europe at the moment. Um, and that is also putting pressure um, on the decision makers regarding lockdown, because, of course, Germany has neighbours who have less uh, less strict restrictions. They've got economies gradually opening and they're just pushing and pushing for this. Um, interestingly, the Retail Trade Association um, said that a this is I mean, it's a shocking figure, but 65 percent of shops in the in German city centres are expecting to file for insolvency in 2021 if they don't get any help from the government. So uh, quite, uh, quite scary stuff there. And then in Japan, uh, they uh, announced better than expected quarterly GDP uh, uh, growth, which is which is good. It's the second quarter in a row that they've they've managed to do this um, as regards to what will happen for the full year. Um, they are. We, I'd say that most people are uh, expecting them not um, to get an Olympic boost because even if the Olympics does go ahead, it looks highly likely that it will be without spectators. Or I don't know 
whether that's no spectators or just Japanese spectators, um, I don't I don't really know. I saw something earlier on today saying something along the lines of 80 percent of Japanese don't think that it should go ahead. Um, but again, I, I don't know what, what's happening there, but that's. Uh, yeah, they won't. They're, they're unlikely to get a uh, a major boost at the end of the year. But you know, who knows? Maybe Japanese will step up on the eating and drinking stakes and spending loads of money, and actually, it won't be so bad. But uh, at the moment, that's not what everyone's expecting. Uh, so, uh, moving on from that and keeping on about Japan. Um, so the Nikkei. Uh, 225 it breached the 30,000 for the first time this sounds boring but it is amazing because um, it's the first time that it has gone through 30,000 since 1990 so before you were born Jerry uh, I think is that the case? Yes, it should be, <laughs> shouldn't it? Yeah, it is before you were born. So, um, so this is this is monumental. Um, now, just to also say that um, if you if you follow Japan. Um, the Nikkei 225 is the one that's always quoted, but it's not the best um, reflection of Japan, uh, not the best index. The best index, if you are interested in Japan and seeing the health, etc., and what's going on, is the topics is what you need. That's spelled T-O-P-I-X. Um, and um, it's that's better because it's broader. It's also not so skewed towards um, uh, sort of manufacturing and uh, I suppose exports and things like that. So it's, it's good. it gives you a better thing. But the pro- the thing is, is that the Nikkei I think started in 1950. The topic started in 1969. Everyone knows the Nikkei. Pe- uh, people other than specialists, I would say, would probably not have heard of topics or only vaguely have heard of it. So, it, but anyway, it still is a benchmark that everyone looks at, and that is a key level that is beaten. Um, and then the other thing is um, Bitcoin had um, some, an eventful week this week. So it broke $50,000. Um, and um, what was also interesting about that is there was a, a good article in the, in, the, in the Telegraph that was talking about there was um, that, that a, the world's biggest compliance, um, a cryptocurrency compliance company, which I must admit I've never heard of in my life before. Uh, it's called Elliptic. Um, it said that it was seeing a massive surge from um, banks asking about um, compliance with cryptocurrencies, which would indicate that we're still moving towards um, the mainstream for Bitcoin. And talking of which, this week in Canada, the first ever Bitcoin uh, ETF, Bitcoin Exchange Traded Funds, this means that you, you know um, normal punters can get some sort of access um, to Bitcoin without having to sully their hands um, and you know dipping into the markets necessarily. I would have thought I'm not a you know I'm I'm not a, an expert on this, but I would have thought this just means that um, should people want to have um, Bitcoin exposure and uh, with minimal risk. Um, then I would have thought this is or lessening the risk. This would look like an interesting option to have. And I would expect there to be other ETFs um, being set up as well, because I would have thought that this will be a nice earner, uh, this one. So, yeah, it's quite interesting to see how much hype there is about Bitcoin going on in the Western world. But then when you look to the East, in particular China, there's really not that much going on. I mean, even though half of the world's Bitcoin miners are Chinese, it's really one of the countries that has tried to shut down cryptocurrencies entirely. In mm. 2017, 
they banned initial coin offerings, which is basically the, the cryptocurrency equivalent of an IPO. And they also mm -hmm. shut down platforms that traded cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. And this is all in preparation for what the, the, the plan that they're really putting in action now, which is their own digital currency, which is the, the digital renminbi or digital yuan. And mm -hmm. um, I should probably clarify, this is not, this is not, you know, it's not a cryptocurrency. It's not similar to Bitcoin. In many ways, actually, it's actually the opposite. It's not, not decentralized. It's much safer. And it's also less risky in terms of price fluctuations and it's more regulated. But what is relevant is that much like Bitcoin is threatening the dollar, I think the stated aim of the Chinese digital currency is also to challenge the dominance that the dollar currently has. So it's really a question of, you know, can the, can the dollar survive um, both, both these fronts being attacked? That is very interesting, actually. And I think that um, it's something that I think a lot of central banks are actually um, flirting with anyway, is, is to make their own, um, is to make their own cryptocurrencies. Um, but again, yeah, it will be interesting to see, um, to see how that works. And certainly I think that um, if it's high, if it's regulated, um, then it stands to potentially have more, um, I'd say possibly more longevity, you know, um, because, yeah, because you know every, the the officials are all on board, rather than Bitcoin, which is constantly fighting against the uh, convention and stuff, isn't it? Really. So, mm. um, but anyway, um, so moving on to um, commodities. Um, so, in with with regard to oil, you've got the Sau uh, Saudis are raising output. Um, now, the, earlier on in the year, they had promised uh, they did actually voluntarily cut production um, and let Russia and Kazakhstan increase production. Um, but the Saudis actually raising uh, raising their output. Um, and that will be from April because the previous promise to cut their output um, lasts until the end of end of March. Um, there's some interesting stuff about commodity prices as well. So. Um, so iron ore prices have gone up by over 85%. Copper prices over 80% since their lows last year in March. Um, this has been powering uh, BHP, which is the world's biggest mining company, and Glencore. Um, there are talks and people are getting excited about it, saying there's a talk of a super cycle, which is basically a long period of time where the prices just go up. Um, and... Uh, it's interesting. I suppose a lot of this depends, the sustainability of this depends on um, China's prospects because China at the moment accounts for at least 50% of demand um, for commodities. So um, all eyes will be on China. As long as that's growing, then, you know, things should continue to go in the upward direction. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, aside from China, I think the other big driver is about the transition to renewable energy and, and really meeting the terms of the Paris Agreement. Um, I think, I mean, obviously both the UK and the US have talked about this whole building back better idea and spending, you know, billions, if not, if not trillions on, on green infrastructure projects. Um, the other thing I would just like to point out is that, you know, trends in commodities tend to be thought of in the very long term and ideas like super cycle are referring to a period of, of 20 years. So I think it might be a bit early to say at the moment, whether that's what we're likely to see. Um, but, you know, if the podcast is still around in 20 years, then I'm sure we'll get back to the listeners then. <laughs> you, you sound doubtful there. You, you, you sound like you're losing, you're losing the faith there. I'm not Jeff. sure you'll be around in 20 uh, years. I mean, I, I'll, I'm fine to take over. 
okay, okay. Well, uh, I'll see. Well, in the meantime, in the meantime, I'm I'm still here. So you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, right. <laughs> on on that note. So um, continuing on from that, we've got um, uh, the chi- China talking about restrict the restriction of uh, exports of um, rare earth minerals. Now they actually control. 80% of the world's supply of rare earth minerals. Um, and these rare earth minerals are used in things like smartphones, electric vehicles, all sorts of, all sorts of things. Now, um, as far as I'm aware, um, the rare, earth, uh, rare earths are not actually that rare. Uh, it's the processing that is, that is tricky. Um, and uh, China does have a lot of control over the supply. Uh, and obviously, then it, it it makes the you know it, it processes it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's what's going on at the moment. They are thinking of do, doing this. This is probably in in retaliation for all the um, American you know sort of uh, the American um, uh, measures taken taken against China. Um, but they're still they're only considering it at the moment. Um, the danger is, of course, I mean, you, you always hear this, this, uh, this argument either way, is that um, if China decides to restrict or, or ban um, even uh, rare earth exports to the US, then the US and others will try to do their own thing. And then that will mean that um, China will have less control. But that always, you know, that all, they always say that, that always that argument always pops up and that's not just that way it goes back the other way as well so um you know if you've got if you've got uh, the americans banning the sale of of uh you know chips to um to chinese companies then you say you then use the argument that then chinese will make their own stuff so you know anyway uh, a common argument uh, do, do you have any any uh, sort of comment on that um i mean nothing apart from it's just interesting how how consistent the uh the china u.s relations story is i mean there's just always something going on between them so yeah that's right never never a dull moment never a dull moment um so um and then the other thing as well is that uh, so it's not just um not just these rare earth minerals and uh and other commodities that that are that are going that are going well but it's the foodstuffs um which are also going going up higher as well so you've got corn prices at their highest level for for seven years so they're up 43 percent you've got soybean prices up over 50 percent wheat up 15 uh, percent i mean it's very interesting because um i think that the drivers for this are individual countries actually building up their reserve building up their reserves from from lows um in preparation for you know the worst if 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 another pandemic were to happen to make sure that they've got enough stuff and to that end um it's maybe also uh because they are these the producing producing the producing comp uh, countries are actually restricting exports uh so, well certainly for the short term uh just to make sure that they've got enough for their own populations as well and so because of that that also means that there's a slight restriction in supply which also um, means that the prices will go up 
So uh, the next thing uh, to talk about is cars. Um, so there's loads of interesting stuff about electric vehicle related bits and pieces. So you've got uh, Jaguar Land Rover committing to be 100% electric by 2025, Ford by 2030. Um, you've got um, you've got other car makers which have already committed. So Volvo by 2030, General Motors by 2035. So it's it's all seems to be. Um, seems to be going that way and maybe it's because um, they see the success of Tesla and Tesla um, reported sales in the UK up by 90% um, so yeah you know everyone seems to be seems to be mo- moving on um, but the interesting the other interesting thing is that Daimler which is the which is the company that that uh, owns the Mercedes-Benz brand? Um, it's being more cautious, taking more cautious approach. It's saying that combustion engine vehicles are their cash cow um, to finance the develop research and development and ultimately production of of, um, of electric vehicles. Um, I think this is a more sensible approach to take because just saying committing to these dates is a good idea in a way, but then that so much can can happen in between now and then um so you know we'll, we'll see but i think that that's a reasonable stance to take um especially given i think it is in daimler that the amount of um uh, electric vehicles they sell amounts to two percent of their vehicle sales so very very low um it's moment. quite interesting to contrast what daimler's doing with what gm is doing you know gm has been around yep. for over 100 years very very traditional very very established automaker so mm-hmm. if anyone was doing mm-hmm. what Daimler's doing in terms of, you know, not setting a target and continuing to sell petrol vehicles, I'd really expect it to be GM, but they've pretty much gone the other way in terms of, you know, setting these targets, saying they're only going to sell electric vehicles by 2035. Mm. I think it's a really big show of faith that EVs are the future. I mean, GM is basically mm. throwing away a century of knowledge in producing cars with um, internal combustion engines. They're throwing away, you know, mm. their established supply chains and they're throwing away the equipment they have in factories because they have to be changed to produce electric vehicles. And they're basically throwing away their, their entire competitive edge. And I mean, they clearly think it is worth it. Um, and the risk they are taking clearly shows that there is going to be a, a very, very dramatic change in the automotive sector over the next decade, at least. Mm. I mean, there's, there was that discussion, wasn't there? I think I was talking about something this week with, with regards to, um, are, is there, are there, um, vehicles going to be commoditized you know because you've got the argument that you've got um the say big tech companies deciding to make cars or uh, yeah have some sort of joint venture um where and and that would that would potentially mean that the cars become the hardware and then uh, which which you know has low margin um but then you have the software um, that is needed in these cars, you know, with all the sensors, the self-driving, the driving aids and all that kind of stuff, uh, meaning that actually the big tech companies make, are the ones that make all the money. Um, but anyway, that's that's interesting. There's another, um, there's something else as well that um, there was talk uh, that I mentioned in, in today's Watson's Daily, which is about uh, VW, which owns Porsche. Um, and VW was saying that they might... Um, 
you know they're they're thinking of um, spinning off uh, a, a a big stake in Porsche, twenty five percent stake in Porsche, which I think is a good idea because you know they I think they could raise some decent money from that. They'll still have control over it, um, but it, it will give them some much needed funds to try to you know move their uh, electric vehicle development forward. Um, and I, I guess. I don't know what the the uh, uh, similarities between, let's say, Fiat um, spinning out Ferrari before and um, VW spinning out Porsche, but um, but certainly it's it's a it's a good one, I think, and um, uh, and a, a good idea for them to actually be able to finance their electric vehicle developments. Um, so uh, I, I don't hear you um, <laughs> shuffling around in your seat, which is usually the usual sign that you're going to say something. So I'll carry on. Um, so we've got some consumer trends. Um, so um, so in the US, retail so- sales saw their biggest increase in January for seven months. Um, and on uh, uh, that was on the back of stimulus measures. Um, and also the easing of certain business restrictions. So these checks that uh, that the president has written and given to everyone are being spent, it seems. Um, in the UK, we saw uh, inflation is rising. That is on higher prices in food and furniture in particular. And I think that that, is, that would be explained or confirmed by um, ONS figures the latest ONS figures, which shows um, strong property sales in December. And those property sales generally tend to drive sales in furniture. I would also argue as well, uh, uh, you know, consumer, consumer electric goods, you know, like uh, so white goods like um, washing machines and cookers and things like that, as well as uh, flat screen TVs and whatnot. Um, and also the uh, uh, with regard to just, as we're on the subject of properties, um, Halifax is saying that demand for detached properties was particularly strong last year. Again, that probably makes more sense in that uh, the general feeling was that people wanting to maybe move a bit further out from from um, from where they work uh, in order to get more bang for their buck. And I guess that uh, having a detached property, if you let's say been living in a flat in London, um, is a very very attractive proposition. Uh, for many. Um, and then the other uh, thing I wanted to mention on consumer trends was um, Nestle. Um, they were, they did, they've done really well. Their, their most recent results, uh, they've done really well on the back of pet food and vitamins. And I think this really, it just really reflects the general trends that we have been seeing under lockdown. One is that, um, you know, we like our furry friends um, and that more of us have been buying pets, uh, which requires more pet food and related bits and pieces you've got the whole wellness thing which is you know so the vitamins the sports goods the um the 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 buying of of pelotons and and such like um and then uh, then i suppose um you've also got other other uh, consumer trends where we are flocking um to buy Goods that are made by Procter and Gamble, Reckitt Benckiser, um, Unilever, as well, um, uh, uh, in order to buy brands that we know and trust, and also brands that offer, um, uh, you know, hyg- yeah, hygiene-related uh, um, stuff. Because we've all got cleaner, apparently, um, under under lockdown, and those habits are arguably likely to persist. 
So, uh, and the last thing I was really going to mention was about social media. So we saw some interesting developments this week with regards to Twitter is challenging, uh, is facing challenges rather in India because uh, the government there is cracking down on dissenters. Um, and, um, do you know, I almost said discounters then. I almost couldn't read my writing but um they say they're cracking down on on um on dissenters um they asked um the social media companies to you know uh, close down accounts and of of people and things but um it's i think that this is potentially quite concerning because um this is something that we've seen go on in china um and i think that many uh, big tech companies were thinking well maybe Maybe we'll stick with, um, yeah. Maybe we'll look elsewhere for our for for growth, uh, and maybe invest in India. Um, still got good potential, but maybe won't less likely to have the rug pulled from under us in India than in China. But maybe that's not the case. Um, so I thought that was um, that is interesting, and it also might make other uh, social media companies think about what their investment plans are in India. I think it'll be interesting well. to see how these companies try and strike a balance between keeping access to the consumer base in these countries, which is obviously massive, mm. um, without letting themselves be pushed around by the government. Um, and I mean, as you mentioned, mm. it's not an issue that is exclusive to India. You talked about China. Um, it was a big story in the US, obviously, when Trump got banned from Twitter and Facebook. And recently, Hungary mm. and Poland have also raised concerns over these social media companies censoring what they consider to be conservative ideas. Um, I think it really just comes mm. down to an issue of who needs who more. Um, I mean, and yeah. I think it's really the onus is on the big tech companies to, to make these compromises because otherwise the, the domestic governments will just promote their own versions of these social media companies. Um, India, they've got mm. a domestic version of Twitter, which is called Ku. Um, and obviously China has alternatives for everything that is banned in China. Um, so it really just depends on how much these companies value accessing that that consumer base versus standing up for themselves. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, totally agree, totally agree. Um, so um, I guess the last thing to talk about is um, Google and the fact that they paid News Corp for access to um, you know to, to to their materials there, uh, which is which is which is great news for for them uh, for you know for news corp because this has been something that's been going on for ages um there is this thing obviously going on at the moment between uh facebook google uh and um the australian government because the australian government is trying to find a way to i guess codify a way of um uh of of media comp- uh, media companies like newspapers and things um being able to charge for contents so um google at the last minute decided to pay don't know what it is but it will probably be a fairly chunky amount of money uh and facebook decided no they're not going to do that um we are actually going to be um you know we'll 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 uh, instead what we'll do is we'll, we'll withdraw access in australia but the thing is i think this is all a bit of um, you know, testosterone um, uh, flying around because um, ultimately Facebook is not, I don't, doesn't strike me as being the sort of place that you would go for news anyway, um, whereas Google is. So it's more important to Google. Um, but I don't know, what do you think? About um, the only thing I did want to say is that I've read some articles that kind of portray it as this David and Goliath thing where, oh, it's these small publishers trying to get paid by, by these big tech companies. 
Um, but I mean, as you said, the publisher mm. in question is News Corp. It's a massive billion dollar mm. media conglomerate run by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's going to be in a mm-hmm. better position to negotiate with Google um, than small publishers who, yep. I mean, I, don't, I haven't read anything that confirms that they'll, be, that they'll, they'll um, benefit at all. I think the question is really mm. how important is this case? Um, it's really just one billion dollar yeah. company paying a portion of their of their um, revenue to another billion dollar company, um, whereas yeah, you know the small publishers who would have actually benefited from this kind of from this kind of ruling aren't really clear on on how they actually benefit at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think we'll we'll see what happens with regards to this case. I mean, there might be some guidelines in there that that um, that help, but I don't know. Maybe it's a. It's, I wonder if it's a bit like. I mean, I'm not a ma- massive sort of football fan, um, but it's it's almost a bit like the um, dealing with the, the sort of Premier, you know, the um, <clears throat> Premier League dealing with um, broadcasting rights, isn't mm-hmm. it? So that you know, Premier League are all fine, um, but it's the you know the lot in uh, in the fourth division and and things um, who are suffering and not going to be able to actually get anything. Um, so yeah, unless something proper is done, um, I, I guess that's that's going to that's going to be the scenario that we see that so some of the smaller specialist places will just wither and die potentially um which is which is very sad so anyway yeah um so keeping it light uh uh, we will i suppose that's that's what we've got that's all we've really got time for today um just want to say um Thank you very much indeed for the uh, for listeners and supporting us and listening and please recommend us to other people um, and you know if you if you like this please rate it and comment on it um, if, if if possible ideally five star <laughs> uh, that that would be great um, and um, um, yeah and I'll just uh, I'll just uh, um, I'll just leave it there thank you very much um, Jerry for for coming on this week and uh, yeah uh, thank no you for your time yeah. everyone. All right. See you. Bye.